Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at DeFacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, onto the show. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. When Jurassic Park first came out, it brought dinosaurs to life in a way that people had never experienced before. Not only did the dinosaurs look incredible, but they also sounded amazing. (laughs) Up until that point, there hadn't been a clear idea in the public consciousness about what dinosaurs sounded like, so the filmmakers essentially had to make it up as they went along. To make these creatures sound believable and alive, they used all kinds of creative sound design techniques. The results are the stuff of sound design legend. Over the nearly 30-year history of the Jurassic Park franchise, the sound designers have faced one persistent challenge. How do you define the sound of an extinct animal that no one has actually ever heard for real? And how do you make it convincing? That's Al Nelson, the lead sound designer on the new Jurassic World films. Al works at Skywalker Sound, which is the sound division of Lucasfilm. Where we're coming from, from the film sound standpoint, is, is it believable, but is it also creating emotional context, and is it helping the story? Early in his career, Al worked with sound design superstars like Ben Burt, the sound designer of Star Wars, as well as Gary Rydstrom and Chris Boys, who made the sounds for the original Jurassic Park movies. That's where I got my real education and experience. There's this wonderful legacy at Skywalker of these brilliant icons with Ben and Gary. Then there's this second generation, uh, people like Chris Boys and a handful of others. And then I was part of the third generation. Working at Skywalker Sound, Al got to see firsthand how some of the classic Jurassic Park sounds were made. To Al, there's one sound that stands above all the rest. The T-Rex is, in my opinion, one of the most iconic sounds in film sound history. Now, it would be great if you could just go record a T-Rex in the wild. But of course, that's not possible. So the original sound designers used a classic technique and looked for inspiration elsewhere in the animal kingdom. In those early days, they were out recording lots and lots of animals. And here at one of the local theme parks, they had some elephants. And Chris Boys was sent off to go record these elephants and out comes trotting out a little baby elephant and it lets out one baby elephant roar. And that was it. That iconic bellow is the main ingredient of the T-Rex. But creating that spine-tingling roar required other ingredients too. He used some crocodile sounds, lions, the blowhole from a whale. He knew just how to use that baby elephant and just how to apply the deep 
grumble of the crocodile or that raspy lion sound at the beginning of it and then the blowhole sound underneath the bellow to give it that weight. Once these elements came together, the result was the iconic dinosaur sound. Of course, there are plenty of other dinosaurs in the Jurassic Park films, and all of them have their own unique voice. To make them, the sound team used a similar approach. You find these best little snippets of vocalizations, the sounds that have personality, and you figure out how to layer them. For example, there was the gentle brachiosaurs. That's the one with the long neck for eating leaves out of tall trees. To create their sound, the designers took hawing donkeys. And they slowed it down until it became a graceful song. There's also a scene where the kids are caught in a stampede of dinosaurs that look sort of like ostriches. These are called Gallimimus. To make their screeches, they use the frightening sound of a horse in heat. Now, that doesn't quite sound like a Gallimimus yet. But if we chop it up, then bring up the pitch, then pan these sounds to the left and right, we can get pretty close to what we hear in the movie. There's also the predatory velociraptors. Their hunting calls were made by a mix of dolphins, as well as mating tortoises. These sounds are so convincing because the designers followed a few basic principles based on the size of the creature and its personality. We want to believe that those sounds belong in the body of that animal. Is it a brachiosaur or is it a compi? For comparison, brachiosaurs could grow up to 40 feet tall. If it's a big, majestic dinosaur like the brachiosaur, you give it scale, but you give it song. They're singing. while the Compsognathus, or Compi for short, was about the size of a chicken. With a Compi, it's a cute little dinosaur, and then it gets aggressive. But in this case, you're choosing higher-pitched sounds, bird sounds, and even taking pitched-up lions so that you don't have any more of that big weighted growl. You just have these unique squeaks and squeals. In this way, the sound designers created an entire ecosystem of dinosaur sounds for the original movies. But when it was time to revisit these creatures in the new Jurassic World films, Al faced a unique challenge. We didn't want to break anything or modify anything that had already been heard and had already been created by Gary. I mean, you wouldn't ever want to mess with the T-Rex. But there was a new creature in Jurassic World, a genetically engineered mutant with an awesome name. The Indominus Rex. This was a dinosaur that was erratic and kind of broken. More of a screamer and more just unhinged. To design this new sound, Al and his team went back to the drawing board. Without any real idea of what specific animals I wanted to use, I and my team just started recording lots of new animals and animals that we knew hadn't been recorded previously. In particular, there was this little fennec fox that's a desert fox. 
it just screamed and wailed and said everything it had to say at high pitches. So that was one of the ingredients. And one of the reasons it was so useful is because that had that sort of erratic, screamy, unhinged sound to it. But just like the T-Rex, there were many layers to the Indominus sound. For some of the scale of the Indominus, we used very large sows, these huge pigs. And at feeding time, the pigs get very aggressive and they bark and squeal. But they also growl at each other. And they'd sound like big, mean animals. We had a howler monkey, which was madly in love with his animal trainer. And when she sang to him, he would go off into these long vocalizations. It was brilliant. When you mix the sounds of these animals just right, you get the Indominus Rex. Of course, Jurassic World also has dinosaurs from the original movies, like the Velociraptors. Clever girl. But in the newer films, they got an update. We now get to experience the raptors, not as passive, but somewhat more trained. And they work with their human handlers. And so they needed a new palette of gentler sounds and friendlier sounds. Alanis' team went in search of a new voice for these friendlier raptors. Ultimately, what we ended up using were uh, mostly penguins, Gentoo penguins. (laughs) They do this sort of chuttering and these softer, cuter sounds that we were able to manipulate and make the raptors more friendly. But it wasn't all elephants and penguins. Some dinosaur sounds were made with less exotic animals. Gary Rydstrom, the original sound designer, snuck in a sample of his own. One of Gary's traditions is to use his dogs for his animals. Gary watched his Jack Russell Terrier playing with a rope toy and saw the similarity of the T-Rex grabbing and shaking other dinosaurs and lawyers to death. So he was inspired to use these sounds for the T-Rex. For the newer films, Al decided to record his own dog. This was my opportunity to bring my black Labrador Bahama into the Jurassic sound palette. She does these sort of cute growls. They're not quite angry, but they sound like, you know, don't get too comfortable with me. So whenever Owen would interact with the raptors and they needed to check him, sometimes that would be one of the sounds we would use is that sort of cute low growl. It's been almost 30 years since Jurassic Park was first released. And in that time, there's been a lot of new developments in the field of paleontology. New research can tell us a lot about what the Jurassic would have actually sounded like and how that compares to what we hear in the movies. That's coming up after this. (laughs) 
By the time I need to hire someone at my sound design studio, DeFacto Sound, I'm already slammed. That's why Indeed is super useful. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. Indeed takes all of the labor-intensive parts of searching and matching for candidates and does them for you. Indeed's smart matching engine will read through dozens of applications and cross-reference them against each other. Indeed will also send out messages to all the candidates that didn't make it with just one click. It's not just about saving time, it's also about quality. According to their own data, 93% of employers say that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. And we've got a great deal for you. Right now, our listeners can get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Hertz. That's Indeed.com slash H-E-R-T-Z. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Congratulations to Pete Obringer for getting last episode's mystery sound right. That was the recreated voice of an Egyptian mummy. Researchers in England made that sound by reproducing his mouth and vocal cords with a 3D printer. Here's this week's mystery sound. If you know that sound, tell us at the web address mystery.20k.org. If you guess it right, you'll be entered to win one of our fancy 20,000 Hertz t-shirts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The dinosaurs of the Jurassic Park films aren't just believable. They have personality and real emotion. One of the main reasons for this is the incredible sound design. But as with anything in Hollywood, sometimes scientific accuracy has to take a back seat to entertainment. In the years since the original Jurassic Park, we've learned a lot about what dinosaurs probably looked and sounded like. To fill in these gaps between the movies and the real Jurassic world, we need a paleontologist. My name is Julia Clark, and I'm a professor of paleontology at the University of Texas at Austin. I have to say, I mean, the original Jurassic Park movie, it represented cutting-edge science at the time. And that was exciting to see. But Julia says certain parts of the movies just aren't very realistic. Oftentimes, these dinosaurs in the movies are making really scary sounds as they're chasing prey items or children. That's not a context in which most predators produce sound. Imagine you're a hungry tiger creeping through the savanna. You spot your favorite snack, a lone antelope. But it's on the lookout, ears twitching for any sound that's out of place. If you let out a blood-curdling roar, all you're going to do is scare away your supper. There's also a physiological reason why roaring and eating just don't go together. If you were about to eat a cheeseburger, would you yell extremely loudly and then stuff the cheeseburger in your mouth? 
No, because those sounds that you're making are made on the exhale, and now you've exhaled all the air out of your lungs and eaten a giant cheeseburger, which is going to inhibit your ability to breathe in a second inhale, potentially. If you're still not sure about this, give it a try at your next meal. I mean, so when that T-Rex is chasing the small children, clearly the children are not a threat. It's not an aggressive display. They would just be silent and about to eat them because you don't want to fully exhale with a loud sound and then have, you know, a giant bite of child. It doesn't work. But of course, it probably wouldn't be very exciting if the T-Rex in Jurassic Park spent the whole movie creeping around silently. My guess is that if you're the T-Rex, you don't have to roar in reality. You just come up behind your prey and chomp down, and that's that. But we're watching these films, and we want to inspire the kind of personality that the T-Rex has. It's scary. It's an aggressor. It's a carnivore. And the sound design team wanted to give you that visceral experience right from the start. In Jurassic Park, the first glimpse of the T-Rex we get is when they pull up to its enclosure in the rain. They tied up a goat to entice it, but now that goat is missing. It's completely quiet. There's nothing happening. There's no music. There's just a little bit of rain. And then you see the water start to ripple and you hear the distant thud. And you hear... And if you just heard those thuds and then the grumble, and that's it, there's something missing there. That dinosaur needs to present itself as dangerous. And so it slams its foot down, opens its mouth, and gives out that iconic blood-curdling bellow. So that's cinema. So carnivorous dinosaurs probably didn't roar while they hunted, but predators do roar to scare off threats and competitors. So when dinosaurs did make noise, what did they sound like? Julia studies dinosaurs' closest living relatives, the reptiles, to figure out the kinds of sounds they could have made. So reptiles include lizards and snakes, turtles, crocs, and birds. Now, a lot of people think, what, you're putting birds in reptiles? But if we think about a tree of life, that is the only sensical solution, is that birds are really highly modified reptiles, and they're really highly modified dinosaurs. The period that came after the Jurassic is called the Cretaceous period. During that time, a new kind of feathered flying dinosaur appeared. These were one of the only kinds of dinosaurs that survived the Great Extinction, when more familiar ones, like T-Rex, were wiped out. All the birds that we have today, that's about 10,000 living species, they represent the descendants of one lineage of dinosaurs. Julia's research team noticed that modern birds and reptiles share a common vocal behavior called a closed-mouth vocalization. It sort of shapes the sound typically after it's produced in the vocal cords. So a sound like, hmm, hmm, right, is a closed-mouth sound. Our own closed-mouth noises might be limited to a hum, but in other animals with other body shapes, they can be really impressive. 
crocodilians can make very loud sounds. Actually, in crocodilians, some of the sounds that to us would sound most like a roar, they're kind of a rumble. Those rumbles are made with the mouth closed. The birds we have now are sometimes called living dinosaurs, and they take closed mouth vocalizations a step further. Male ostriches have this boom call in which the mouth is closed, and that's a very low-frequency call. Other birds make noises in a similar way. For instance, there's the coo of a dove. There's the strange scooching sound of a bittern. And the weirdly human call of the eider duck. So what we think is that maybe some dinosaurs, maybe larger bodied dinosaurs, maybe they're using these closed mouth vocal behaviors like booming calls that they make to attract a mate or defend a territory. Due to the sheer size of the largest dinosaurs, their booms would be much lower in pitch than even the largest birds. In fact, the sounds they made could have been so low that they'd be almost impossible for us humans to hear. If we were around when T-Rex was around, we might feel these sounds of the largest dinosaurs more than we would hear them through our ears. These low rumbles weren't the only type of sound you'd hear in the Jurassic. Some dinosaurs, known as Parasaurolophus, had long skulls with tube-like holes called vacuities inside them. These vacuities don't produce sound, but they would shape sound. Sound would bounce around inside these tubes, resonating and echoing almost like a didgeridoo. In Jurassic Park 3, the resonating skull actually becomes a plot point. They're trying to 3D print the vocal organ of a velociraptor. And I guess the idea is that if they can communicate with these velociraptors, they can influence their behavior. I give you the resonating chamber of a velociraptor. Listen to this. I think it's really cool that at least in the Jurassic Park movies, they were trying this out. That said, everything else about the science of that scene is kind of wrong. So what they print, they call a resonating chamber, and a resonating chamber doesn't have the capacity to make sound. It would be something that shapes sound after it was produced. Blowing into a resonating chamber without using your vocal cords wouldn't make any sound, just like blowing air down a didgeridoo would sound like this. In other words, the only way to make a real velociraptor sound is with a whole living velociraptor. If we put all of this together, we can start to get a more complete picture of the Jurassic soundscape. Julia thinks you may even be able to guess which geological period you were in just by the sounds that you heard. I think there's a lot of evolution of the sonic landscape throughout the age of extinct dinosaurs that we would hear. In earlier parts of dinosaur history, where you have a lot of dinosaurs that are like pony to horse size and bigger, those are going to be lower frequency sounds. So the Jurassic period would have been a place of deep, bassy rumbles. It's only in the late Jurassic that we have evidence for things starting to take flight and smaller body sizes. So by the time you get to the Cretaceous, I think there's going to be a lot more higher frequency dinosaur sounds made by these smaller species. 
it's still going to be a fairly foreign sonic landscape, but there's still going to be some sounds that are almost bird-like. It would be fascinating to be a dinosaur watcher in the Cretaceous. Figuring out the way the world sounded a hundred million years ago is hard work. But the drive to learn more keeps paleontologists like Julia going. We start with simple curiosity, like a question like, how would we approach this? How would we figure out what dinosaurs sounded like? That's a big question. I feel so privileged to be able to be outside with a group of other scientists discovering new fossils. But I also feel so privileged to work with all my students asking what might seem like kind of crazy questions and trying to figure out real ways of inquiry around those questions. Maybe the next Jurassic film will represent dinosaurs in all their booming, cooing, rumbling glory. Whatever happens, though, whether you're in Hollywood or digging for dinosaur bones... There will be lots of dino fun, I can promise you. Twenty Thousand Hertz is hosted by me, Dallas Taylor, and produced out of the sound design studios of DeFacto Sound. Hear more at defactosound.com. This episode was written and produced by Layla Batterson and me, Dallas Taylor, with help from Sam Sneebly. It was story edited by Casey Emerling. It was sound designed and mixed by Soren Bejan and Jai Berger. Thanks to our guests, Al Nelson and Julia Clark. You can find out more about Al at SkywalkerSound.com. You can also read about Julia's research at juliaclark-paleolab.com. Thanks to the Varmints podcast for helping us name this episode from Twitter. If you'd like to help name our episodes, help us with story directions, get sneak peeks of upcoming shows, or just want to tell us a cool sound fact, you can do that by following us on Facebook, Twitter, or our subreddit. And if social isn't your thing, you can always drop us a note at hi at 20k.org. Thanks for listening. 